I'm glad you're all here today, this morning, both on site, also online. Thank you for joining us. We're really glad that you're all a part of the Hammock Street community. Um, Next week, we're going to start a new sermon series called Big Church, and I think you'll enjoy it. It's... uh, we're going to be addressing how this thing that we know of as church came to be and uh, sort of the history and uh, how things developed and how we ended up here today. But that's next week. Today, I felt compelled to bring you guys a special kind of one-off message about groups. Let me tell you why. A few weeks ago in, in the early morning hours, that's when I... That's when I do my quiet time because by the end of the day, I don't know if you guys are like this, the day seems to get so busy and time gets so compressed that you're either too tired or just don't have time to do what you want to do. So wake up early. It's a little tip, pro tip. It's a hack. Get up early and you have stuff to, you have time. So I was talking to God and I was praying for Hammock Street and I was giving thanks for the way that God has blessed us from the very beginning and giving extra thanks for the way that God has sustained us over the last few months. And, and as I was praying for our church body, you guys came to mind. Now, I don't mean that this is the very first time that you came to mind while I was preaching or praying for the church. Of course, that, that would be silly. I think about you guys all the time. I pray for you. I thank God for you. I ask God to pour his blessings down upon you. That is just standard. But what I mean for purposes of today is that I was asking God to lead each and every one of you into the best relationship with him that you could possibly have. And he brought to my mind a few things. Now, as you might have noticed, I'm a big believer in the power of giving. I'm convinced that the blessings that Beth and I have experienced over the years and the closeness that I've felt toward God since we decided to take that leap and become consistent tithers, faithful 10% givers, I am positive that those two things are connected. Tithing, after all, is the only place in Scripture about which God tells us to test him in Malachi 3.10 or Malachi, the Italian prophet, said... Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'm also a big believer in the power of daily prayer and with it, the power of daily intentional interaction with God. You see, in the same way that we develop friendships with people, relationships with people, And we do that by spending focused, quality time, but also quantity time with people, invite them into our day-to-day lives, invest ourselves in their interaction with the world. We develop this deep and abiding relationship with God as we do that. Now, I kind of felt like this might not be the right crowd for this image. If you don't know who that is, that's Tevye. He's the main character from the 1971 movie classic, Fiddler on the Roof. But when I think about having an ongoing daily conversation with God, this is truly the image that comes to my mind. It's this conversation, God, where are we going today? God, what are we doing today? God, how can I bless these people today? It's this constant conversation. And I encourage everybody to get into that habit, daily running conversation with God about everything. But what I want to talk about today is something that's just as vital. In fact, 
And I asked around, every successful pastor I've ever met would say the same thing. Just as I wish I could snap my fingers and have you all experience the feeling of having a person that you ministered to being baptized or the feeling of watching a person you ministered to going through starting point or or beginner's class and beginning to get it, you know, seeing the scales fall off and the clouds clear. Those are great feelings that I wish you could all be a part of. But I also wish I could make everyone understand the power of, the life-giving benefits of belonging to a small group, or as we call them, a life group. So, why don't we pray, and then I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Won't you join me? Father God, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to come together as your people, to celebrate who you are, to sing our praises to you, to worship you, and to enjoy being with brothers and sisters who love you as well. God, as we move on today, we ask that you would use your word to transform our hearts and minds, that we would draw closer to you, and that we would see Jesus and him only. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you don't know what small groups or life groups are, or you don't even know what I'm talking about when I'm referring to those terms, we're going to fix that right now. And by the way, don't feel bad, because I didn't know what they were either when I first started going to the church. But once I recognized the sin nature with which I was born, that human nature that drives us all towards selfish sin, that human nature that required a savior to redeem us. And then when I recognized that notwithstanding my inherent sinfulness, that Jesus loves me anyway, and out of his love for me, he made a way for me to be connected forever to God when I would turn from my selfish ways, my sinful ways, my natural self, and then understanding how Jesus paid for my sins when he died and was entombed and then rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, promising to return one day to usher in God's kingdom here on earth. As soon as I understood that and I devoted my life to his lordship and I accepted his free gift of eternal life and eternal life connected to him, as soon as I became a follower of Jesus, everything changed. And from the very first moment that I started exploring becoming a part of a church community, I was encouraged to become part of a life group. But no one told me what that was. And no one told me why I needed to belong to one. And as a result, my first encounter with a life group was not optimal. Now, this is strange. I'm going to tell you to join life groups, and then I'm going to start off by telling you why they're bad, okay? So just want you to know what happened. Here's what happened. In the early days of my new life as a follower of Jesus, I was assigned to a life group, just assigned. The church said, here you go, this is a group you're going to join. So they gave me and Beth a name and a home address, and they said, go at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday night. So this 7 o'clock on the Tuesday night coming, we were going to go, and we went, and it wasn't the best experience we ever had. But it had nothing to do with the people in the group. The people actually were wonderful, they were warm, they were welcoming, you know, pastors like alliteration, so wonderful, warm, and welcoming. The people greeted us at the door, they invited us into their home like we were family, then they sat us in basically dining room chairs, which if you have to sit a long time in a dining room chair, you know it's somewhat uncomfortable, and they were set up in a circle in the living room, and we kind of went around the room with each person telling the group what the center of warmth was 
from their childhood. Now, again, I've been in a lot of small groups since then, and I understand it's an icebreaker question. That's why you do that. But at that moment, it was nothing, like nothing I'd ever done before. And I looked at Beth, and I don't know if you guys are married or ladies who are married, if you do the same thing, but I, I was communicating with her telepathically, trying to, give her, trying to get her to read what I was thinking. And, and I said to her telepathically, do you find this as weird as I do? And she just looked at me blankly. She didn't answer back. And I thought, her ability to read my mind is not operating at peak efficiency. But she did give me finally a return glance. And I, th I thought, okay, we're on the same page. And then the leader opened up his Bible and he read something to me in a very strange, unfamiliar, unintelligible language, which I later came to learn was the King James translation. I just didn't understand it at the time. I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I was pretty clueless. And as the meeting went on, I, I kept feeling out of place and disconnected. And, you know, you guys know me a bit. I'm a bit ADD. And I started looking around the room. And I noticed on the walls a whole lot of kind of what I would call amateur Christian art. Crosses made from popsicle sticks. Churches made from dry macaroni that had been painted and stuck to construction paper. You, you know what that is, right? Yeah. Unbeknownst to me, that would adorn my home one day, but it didn't ring at the time. And then there were a bunch of these kind of, I just call them like these old-timey religious pictures. There was one picture, and maybe you've seen it before, is a very gentle-looking man with kind of dark, sandy blonde hair and hazel eyes, whom I just assumed had to be Jesus, right? And he was surrounded by what looked like a halo and he's pointing to his chest, and there was this heart on his chest. It has sunburst around it. I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I saw another picture of what looked like the same gentle man, but his hands were folded this time, and they were on top of a large rock. It was almost, almost like an Olin Mills picture that they used to do. You guys remember that? He was kneeling in front of it, and I'm like, man, this is just blowing my mind. I, I was totally unfamiliar with all this stuff. And I thought, I am out of my element. And when we left that evening on the car ride home, Beth and I agreed, well, we're not going to be doing that again anytime soon. But thankfully, we were wrong. We were very wrong. Because we had the opportunity for another small group experience, and that one was life-changing. You see, we were invited to a life group made up of new parents who at the time were people with whom we had a lot in common. And even though we didn't know anyone beforehand... From the moment we walked into that group, we knew we were home. And all these years later, we still call the people in that group our dear friends. And we've been a part of life groups ever since. You see, there is something special. There is something irreplicable about being in a life group. Now, I want you to understand this. Worshiping on Sunday together here is critical. It is great to gather together as an ecclesia. That's the word we have over the sanctuary door. It's a Greek word. It means a community that has been called out from the rest of the world. That's what an ecclesia is. That's what we are. We get together corporately. We sing songs of worship. We sing songs of praise. We sing songs of thanksgiving. We do this to God who is powerful and who is healing. And when we're together and we get to do all that, we just, there's so much we get out of it and so much we give to each other when we're doing it. And learning scripture in a sermon format surrounded by others who desire to know more about God you just can't replace that. It's vital to guiding us into a deeper and more meaningful understanding of God's word. But as Andy Stanley says, he's the pastor at North Point Community Church. It's a vibrant church located in Atlanta with strategic partners 
all over the world. We're one of the strategic partners. He says about the power of life groups, circles are better than rows. Okay, what are you sitting in now? Rows, you with me? Okay. But if you want a close, vibrant connection with the God of the universe, if you want a faith that works, if you want a faith that is relevant to your life, relevant to you, relevant to your family, a faith that becomes your own faith, circles are better than rows. And I say all this to say that you and your family need to be in a life group. Now, as for me and Beth, our life groups have changed our lives absolutely for the better. The, the days that our groups meet are the best days of my week. I look forward to being around every single person in our groups. And you know something? I was thinking about that last week. I want that for you. I want you all to experience that as well. But more importantly, because what I want doesn't really matter, but God wants that for you. So, in chapter 17 of Luke's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, okay, third book in the New Testament, Jesus gave us a compelling reason to be a part of a life group when he said this to his disciples. Here's what Jesus said. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. All right, so what's happening here? Well, Jesus is talking with his disciples. These are the men who are closest to him. They were the men to whom Jesus decided that he was going to first introduce his teachings, knowing that when he was gone and he knew he would be gone, knowing that they would be the ones to take these teachings out from the Holy Land, the place we now call Israel, into the rest of the world, to the ends of the earth. And to that inside circle, to those disciples, Jesus gave this critical advice. Actually, this advice was a theme with Jesus. He had talked about it throughout his earthly ministry. Toward the end of his earthly ministry, when he was trying to prepare his disciples for the trials that lay ahead, he similarly warned them when he said in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Why do I need to have peace in you? Because in this world you might have trouble. You could possibly run into some trouble if you're not careful. No, you will, you will, it's emphatic, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Let me put this one back up. Jesus told them, listen, lads, there's a little something that you guys need to understand about life. Stuff happens. In life, you are going to stumble, period. It is just going to happen. Deal with it. All right, let's think about that for a second. When do we stumble? We stumble when there's something in our path and we don't see it. Just an example, when our sons come home to visit, we have two adult sons, of course, we've talked about them. When they come home to visit, and by the way, it's a whole different thing when you have kids and they're growing up in your house and then they move out and they become grown-ups and they come back because it isn't like having your kids back in the house, it's like having out-of-town guests. And when our sons come home, they have this fun habit of leaving their shoes, sizes 12 and 13, wherever they happen to take them off, which is good if you're trying to figure out where they've been in the house because you can just tell. But invariably, I come along and I do what? I trip over them. It never fails. Now, why? Why do I trip over my boys' shoes? Is it because I want to? No. It's because I don't see them. If I saw them, I wouldn't stumble over them. 
That's the rule when it comes to stumbling. You don't stumble if you see it, right? So Jesus is telling the disciples, as you travel through life, things that cause you to stumble are going to be there. They're going to be there. Actually, in the Greek, Jesus' warning is much more clear. Now, in the Koine Greek, and, and that just means the common Greek language. It's sort of an old Greek. They don't speak that in Greece anymore. But in the Koine Greek, that's the language in which the New Testament was originally written, the practice was to start the sentence with the most important word. So translated from the, from the Greek, so from the Koine Greek into English, but you'd actually, if you were translating it directly, the verse sounds a little bit more like Yoda than it does like Jesus. Because essentially in the Greek, Jesus said to them, impossible it is, that was my Yoda, sorry, for stumbling blocks not to come. Impossible it is for stumbling blocks not to come. It's impossible to avoid stumbling blocks, Jesus said. Did you catch that? He didn't say it's difficult. He said it's impossible. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how long you've been following God. Avoiding stumbling blocks is impossible. It's impossible for you to live this life without there being things you don't see that are thrown at your feet and have the potential to trip you up. Now, it actually gets even more interesting. The Greek word for stumble is the word scandala, which is the origin of the English word scandal. It also refers to a trap. So Jesus was telling them, and he's also telling us, that there are things, there are relationships, there are whatever, that are going to sneak up and trap us. We're not going to see them. They're going to sneak up and they're going to trap us. They're going to sneak up on us and they're going to harm our faith. They're going to sneak up on us and they're going to weaken our connection to God. And now, I'm going to go out and venture a guess and say that no one's really surprised by any of that, right? I mean, nothing I said is surprising. If you've been on this planet long enough and looking around, you guys have been around long enough to be here this morning, you've already experienced this in your life. This phenomenon is not strange to you. You have stumbled. You have tripped, metaphorically speaking, over something. We all have. In this world, there is no shortage of things that can cause us to stumble. But no matter how smart you are, no matter how long you've been coming to church, no matter how much Bible you've memorized, Jesus said, it is impossible. Impossible it is for stumbling blocks not to come. Impossible it is for you to make it through life without something getting in your way that has the potential to make you stumble. And when it comes to our relationship with God, the stumbling blocks are plentiful. There's no shortage of stumbling blocks. Whether it be a new teaching or a false teaching, whether you've been injured physically, whether you have a different opportunity, whether there's a crisis, whether there's a pandemic, there's so many things that can cause us to stumble in connection with our relationship to God. Actually, those things can make us stumble in connection with our faith in God as well. Now, with all that said, for most, when we, when we look back the last time we stumbled, as it relates to our connection with God, the thing that caused us to stumble was likely a person or a group of people. That's like the biggest thing that makes others stumble. And there are lots of ways that can happen. Maybe you or your children changed schools. If you're a student, you changed schools. If you're a child, your child, you brought child to a different school. And the new kids at the new place aren't big church people like the old 
school was. And here in South Florida, you know, yeah, we don't have a whole lot of church culture around here, so it's real possible. Now, for the grown-ups among us, maybe you change jobs and the new place doesn't respect your faith like the old one did or doesn't allow you to talk about your faith like the old one did. Or maybe someone in your family or you took up a sport and people in that sports world don't really give God or church much importance. They're scheduling things on Sundays and practices on Sundays and practices on Wednesday nights. And, you know, maybe you start hanging around with new friends or maybe you found a new way to spend your time, a hobby or, or even something more destructive. Maybe you found one of those things that isn't at all conducive to a life of faith. And listen, even if you think that this can't happen to you, I hate to break it to you, but it can. It absolutely can. But you're not going to see it coming. And that is the point. That's the stumble. Now, after people, pretty much the second most common cause of stumbling is money. A deficit of money or even a surplus of money can cause us to stumble. While a lack of money can lead one to stumble out of desperation, riches can be deceitful as well. Sometimes one's riches can trick a person into thinking they're actually smarter than is actually the case. In fact, that's a thing. In America, we tend to think that the more money a person has, the smarter that person is. That's why we listen to people who are wealthy talk about things about which they really don't know. Of course, that isn't remotely true, but we still think it is nonetheless. Remember when Jesus said essentially that it's harder for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven than a poor person? Remember what he said in Matthew 19, 24? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he said that because it is so easy for everybody to believe that wealth equals God's blessing, but it doesn't. An abundance of wealth can lead to an abundance of dangerous temptations, in addressing this phenomenon, one writer in Proverbs said this, in Proverbs 30, verse 8, Keep falsehood and lies far away from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Okay, so I said all this stuff to say that stumbling blocks are out there and no one is safe, not even our children. If being wary of avoiding Stumbling blocks poses a challenge for us. Imagine the challenge that it poses for our children who haven't yet developed the awareness or the defense mechanisms or even the competence necessary to even have a shot at avoiding the stumbling blocks. This is a big thing. Okay, so what does all this talk about stumbling blocks have to do with my desire for all of us to be in circles or to be in life groups? Well, here's the answer. It is easy, it is way too easy to stumble out of church, to stumble out of community, to stumble out of ecclesia, to stumble out of our ecclesia here at Hammock Street. Many times, church attendance is just about attendance. Going to church is just about a habit. And after a few weeks of staying out too late or sleeping in too late, you can kind of get out of the habit of being here of coming together. It's really easy to do. The disruption of COVID caused it to happen to a lot of people. It's easy also to stumble out of your faith. Maybe, especially with the proliferation of information on the internet, maybe you heard a few things. 
or you heard something that has you questioning what you used to believe. Or maybe the distractions of the world are too many to ignore and your faith kind of just faded away. It's even easy to stumble out of a personal relationship with or a personal connection to God. If you get behind in your Bible reading plan and you start feeling guilty and you don't go back to it because you're like, I'm already behind, he's already mad at me, I may as well. Or maybe you find yourself so busy you forget to pray. You go days or weeks and you say, I haven't even talked to God, I haven't even prayed. It's easy to stumble away. But you want to know what's really hard to stumble out of? It's close to impossible to stumble out of community, to stumble out of circles. If you're connected with a group of people doing life together, a group in which you encourage each other and you support one another, a group in which you're praying for each other and you're tackling life's difficulties together, if you're facing these issues as one, if you're facing the things that come up in the world today by opening your Bible and considering God's guidance on how best to do it, it's close to impossible to stumble out of that. Why? Because a group like that, a life group, is tangible. A life group is relational. A life group is accountable. A life group is like a family, except that when you stumble, unlike family, which might be the last place you want to turn, a life group can be the best place to turn. Now, let me ask you adults here a question. Ask yourself, at this point in your life when you've stumbled, are you more apt to listen to your family's suggestions which you've likely heard and ignored for years, many times. It actually might be the cause of your stumbling in the first place, or the people with whom you've been purposefully navigating your life, the people who understand the adult you, the the Christian you. It's kind of funny when you don't grow up in the church, as I didn't, and you become a follower of Jesus, and then you meet people that you knew from your previous life, They don't exactly get what makes you tick. They don't exactly get you like they used to. The people with whom you've developed a deep and caring relationship, they understand. They're more likely to give you this God-centered guidance that you really need. So it seems like the answer is pretty clear, yeah? What does God have to say about it? Pretty much the same thing. Let's have another look. About being connected to others, King Solomon, remember, reputed to be the wisest man who ever lived. Here's what he said. This comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Okay, two are better than one. This was written 3,000 years ago, and the insight is astounding. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Even 3,000 years ago, God recognized that while one person can do one person's work, two people, through the principle and application of synergy, can do the work of three people or more. What one ox is capable of pulling is tripled or trebled when another ox is added to the mix. So Solomon starts with that. 
And then he continued, if either of them falls down, one can help the other. That's our topic. If one person falls down, if one person stumbles, the other person can come along and help him or her up. There's really not much interpretation necessary. If two people are walking together, going through life together, side by side, and if one falls down, the other can help him up. And then Solomon introduced the contrast, the but. But pity those who fall and have no one to help them up. Pity those who fall. And when they fall, when they stumble, they've got no one to help them up. You want a real-world application of that? All right. Peek behind the curtain for a moment. And my job as a pastor, as a part of everybody's job who works in the church, when we get called, we usually get called when someone's going through a thing. It's not usually a medical thing, because you'd be calling your doctor first, but it's a thing, thing, a relational thing. We get called, I get called from people, I need help with my 15-year-old, he's driving me nuts or I need help with my marriage. When people call us and say, I need help, someone I love has stumbled, someone I love has fallen, will you help me? That's heartbreaking, as you could imagine. You know what the first question we ask is when we get that call? Are you in a group? And, and that might sound a little cold at first, like we're trying to pass the buck. That might even sound a bit dismissive, but it isn't really. It isn't at all, actually. And I'll tell you why. Because after doing this for a lot of years now, we know something from experience. If a person, if people, if adults, if couples, if students, if men, if women are connected to a life group, we know that there's someone to help them even when they won't listen to their family. So we always ask first, are you in a group? You know what we've consistently found? 99 percent plus of the time, they say no. Because if their answer had been yes, they probably wouldn't have called us in the first place. Over the years, I've heard so many stories about how people have stumbled and the other people in their life groups have come around them and lifted them back up. Years ago, the family of a man trapped in his addiction for decades came to us for help. A man had tried everything, counseling, Separation from his wife, interventions, threats. He was even incarcerated for a while. He was institutionalized for a while. Nothing worked. And we told the family to reach out to his life group. And they did. And the men in that life group who loved the guy were more than eager to help. And they came around him. And they applied some very tough love. I mean, really tough love. It was almost physical at one point. Harsh words, credible threats. It, it, was, it was heavy duty for a while. But eventually, they were able to help the man get back up. And that's what life groups are able to do. When you're in a life group, there's always someone there to help you up. Solomon, the wisest person in the world, who, by the way, stumbled plenty himself and felt the sting of what it's like to be alone felt the sting of what it's like to be so rich and powerful that no one dared to get close to him, which left him bereft of all loving support. He knew firsthand that a person who stumbles and falls and has no one close enough to help him back up is to be pitied. 
It's nothing short of tragic that so many in our churches, even in our Hammock Street Fellowship, fail to see the value of belonging to a life group. All right. Some of you might say, okay, got it. I understand. You want us to be in a group, but I'm good. I'm good on my own. I'm a loner. Eh, I'm an introvert. I don't have time for that right now anyway. Or I'm too busy to add another meeting to my life. By the way, that resonates with me. I'm not a meeting person. One of my uh, professors liked to say, if I die and wake up in a meeting, I'll know I went down and not up. <laughs> Some people say, oh, I don't know. My activities take up all my spare time. My boat takes up all my spare time. My mountain bike takes up all my spare time. My golf takes up all my spare time. Some people like to say, some grown-ups especially like to say, I have, all, I have all the friends I need anyway. And then they find out when it's too late that they desperately needed someone when they stumbled. When people stumble morally, ethically, relationally, spiritually, any combination of all those things, when people stumble, they're going to need people who know them and who love them to be around them and to help them back up. Everyone needs someone who, when they've stumbled, will come around them and say, it's not happening on our watch. We're not going to let you stay down. We're not going to leave you. We love you too much. You may have heard from the great prophet Lawrence Thoreau, who many of you know by his stage name, Mr. T. He once said this, sort of, I pity the fool who isn't in a small group. <laughs> it's on the screen, so it must have happened. Listen up. When, not if, when, when you stumble, you're going to need most what you desire least. When you stumble, you're going to need someone who could speak truth into your life, who could administer that tough love. And even though nobody really likes being on the receiving end of tough love, a life group is uniquely situated to provide just that. So here's your marching orders. If you haven't done anything to get connected to some people here at Hammock Street who will be there for you, some people who won't go away when you need them, you need to change that. And you can change it right now by becoming a part of a life group. Because you can stumble out of going to church. And you can stumble out of praying. And you can stumble out of reading your Bible. And you can stumble out of setting aside your quiet time with God. But it's really tough to stumble out of community. All right, so what do you need to do? Am I just standing up here kind of guilting you guys and I'm going to leave you hanging? Of course I'm not going to do that. So here's what's happening. Currently, there are, there are a number of existing life groups here at Hammock Street Church, but quite candidly, I'm not telling you to join any of them. I mean, you can. If, you're, if you want, you're welcome to join. We have an open um, men's group that meets on Wednesday nights at 7. It's a Zoom group. People are gathering from all over. Some people are still uncomfortable gathering together. That's totally okay. You can join that if you like. If you want to Join the women's group. There's another women's group on uh, Wednesday nights, also 6.30. It's on site here in the church. It's also online at Zoom. They sort of do it hybrid like that. But actually, I'm suggesting you do something different. I'm suggesting that you just reach out to somebody here in the, in the building, in the room, in the community, and say to them, hello, my name is, state your name. Don't say state your name, obviously. Do you want to be in a group with me? You want to do a group together? 
It's really that easy. Once you've done that, when you have some names, just email them to me. Info at hammockstreetchurch.com. Send the, send the information. I get that email, so does Beth. So we'll both get it and we'll help you get started. And if for whatever reason you feel like you're not ready to walk up to a stranger in church, just email us your name and when we get enough names, we'll put together a group for you. By the way, my opinion, it's a lot more organic to just handle that little bit of discomfort and make that connection yourself. But either way, we'll help you do it. Because I want you to know this, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. It's my wish for everyone here to experience the blessing that I have experienced in being involved in life groups for more than 20 years. And it's really simple. You're missing out if you and your children are not plugged into a life group. I just told you how grown-ups can get plugged in. By the way, if your children are part of our children's ministry, or if your children are part of our youth ministry, Pastor Scott is already getting them set up in life groups as that they can handle. That one's easy. But for you grown-ups, we've got to do a little bit more work. Now, imagine how differently. Imagine how much better. Imagine how much better you would have, or you could have handled the times in your life when you stumbled if you were part of a close, friendly, loving, supportive group of people who wouldn't leave you, a group of people who wanted the best for you, and a group of people who were willing to hang in there until you were able to get back up. You see, that is what Hammock Street is all about, and that's what we want for you, but more important than all of that, that's what God wants for you. So please, don't wait another day. Get plugged into a life group. And by the way, if your first attempt is like my first attempt, and that's why I told you about it, if it doesn't go as well as you hoped, just find another one. You ever get a bad haircut? Did you give up getting haircuts? You ever eat a bad meal? Did you stop eating? No, you just eat something different. You go to another barber, try it again. Because circles are better than rows. And face-to-face -face is better than all of your faces looking at mine. Because at the end of the day, life groups are where the growth happens. Life groups are where life happens. And life groups are where accountability happens. And a life group is where you'll develop the sense of belonging and the sense of care that draws people to become part of a church community in the first place. Hammock Street Church, I gotta tell you, life groups will change your life for the better. And you have God's word on it. Amen? Why don't you pray with me? God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for giving us this picture from your word about the importance of gathering together with others, of belonging, of being connected in a group situation with other like-minded people who are there to lift us up and support us and pick us up when we've stumbled. God, I know it's a difficult thing to start. It's out of our comfort zone. It's weird. It's foreign. But Lord, we know that that's what you want for us. And when we do it, we know that you'll bless that effort. And that having people connected to us who also love you will enhance and increase our relationship with you. So God, we thank you. We look forward to seeing how you'll guide us into groups. And we're thankful to see how you'll use us to further your kingdom. We pray all this 
In Jesus' name, amen.